God's word tells us in our suffering that will gain any other positive aspect. To think about suffering or when you think about it, the only time you really learn something is from your mistakes. If you do it right all the time, you don't really know if you're learning anything or not. So I think if we can draw something out of this time um, that we've had, maybe a little more awareness uh, toward other people and their circumstances, I think we can draw that out of out of uh, the negatives that we see everywhere, um, even the hostilities teaches us what not to be. Um, but thinking of the heightened awareness of what other people around us need or what they're going through, that does bring us to the point of giving. Because the response to somebody's needs is to give. So that is what we should be doing for each other, those who are around us. What better better example or ministry could you have than to be able to help those people around you so they, they know that you're different, know you have something worth offering in your knowledge? So as we think about giving at this time, let's just remember that without suffering, you can't really give either. It needs to cost you for you to know what it what it really means. Morning. We are still studying in 1 Corinthians. Uh, if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, the last three weeks we were on chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. Topic matter was the headship issue, headship in the realm of God and his people. Then we had a couple lessons concerning the communion. Um, from the Apostle Paul, as the Lord gave him. All leading to the, the, um, the discussion that the Apostle is having with the church in Corinth in the next three chapters, which are chapters 12, 13, and 14. It's a new topic, if you will. Um, although all of these things kind of go together, flow together as the way of problems within the congregation, um, he's dealing with lots of things, you know, uh, reports that he received from some of those that he named early on in the book. <clears throat> this topic is the topic of uh, spiritual gifts. Anybody ever heard of spiritual gifts? <laughs> the church? 
Well, believe me, that seems to be one of the most heightened awareness, if you will, as Nathan said, amongst churches is that issue of spiritual gifts and the uh, understanding of it seems to be, of course, like most things, limited to, um, well, actually governed by mostly emotion rather than real diligence. Really, that's what the apostles dealing with here, too, within the church. This was a new thing to them because the church was new. This was a new thing. These, uh, these spirituals, as it's known. So, the Apostle Paul, he begins this new subject in a little different way. Um, but in, all of this concerning the, the gifts needs clarification amongst the brethren in Corinth. <clears throat> the Greek uses the terminology, the spirituals, which puts the grammar into the proper place. Um, these things have come from heaven. To the assembly. Now we know the topic, but what is the much needed definition of that idea of spirituals? Well, if we look at, um, I like Bollinger, uh, although uh, I looked at a couple others and, and pretty much everyone's got this de definition down. Uh, and Bollinger says uh, that Greek word simply means things belonging to the Spirit or proceeding out of it, uh, because we're dealing with both, both things here as it becomes manifest in the assembly. Proceeding out of Spirit. I'd like to add to, to that... Um, uh, the, the, Paul's usage of the teaching here, that uh, to me this is a clear reference of the, on, the concept of the spirit because the word spirit means, the first definition of the word spirit is breath. Okay. So we're talking about, again, the breath effect of God, what we see, what those people were seeing in the church in Corinth and other churches in that area at that time period, what they saw was the breath effect of God being manifest through the brethren for, and this is where it got complicated. For what reason? Well, the reason, of course, was to edify the, the, the group, the congregation, was to, to help them um, in their understanding, in their growing in their faith and, and all, all of the things, protect them in, in more ways than one. Well, that's all well and good. We know we can define the word, but you know that word is used in other places too. In Romans 7, verse 14, it says this. Again, the, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, he says, for we know that the law is spiritual. Aren't we talking about the idea of uh, spiritual gifts here? 
So what's that say to you? My scripture in verse uh, chapter 12, verse 1, says spiritual things, which is pretty good. It's really just spiritual, and, and it refers to the things that are spiritual. But here we find that the law is also spiritual. In other words, of the spirit, out of the spirit. The law has the same origin as the gifts that were given to the church. The law came from God to the Hebrews in the desert through Moses. And so the spirituals, that is, those gifts within the first uh, century church came to the Lord's church and to the brethren from where? The same origin, from God in heaven. Uh, I'd like to add this little verse. The word of Jesus, this is what Jesus said in John 4, uh, verse 24, it's recorded. Jesus said, God is spirit. So we know the, the, the word spirit is neuter in gender. But here's the thing about God is spirit. When we live as true citizens of heaven, we are also spiritual. Now, in the world we live in, lots of things are relegated to the category of that's just spiritual or they're very spiritual or whatever it might be. Um, they used to word, use the word uh, religious instead of spiritual. <laughs> A little broader brush, maybe. But that's an issue. But God is spirit. That's what Jesus said. And I, I believe what he says. Now, here's the most important point, I think, that I can make on this topic. I'm going to get it said right off. Since it is the God of heaven who sent the law of Moses, and it was spiritual, and the same God who sent the spiritual gifts or things to the assemblies to edify the body, how can anyone boast on these things as though they came from them or in any way think that one gift was greater than the other and elevated a person over another person. But I guess we could say that this is kind of human nature. People, you know, tend to act that way, although it's not a very mature way to act. And I'm sure this was part of the problem within the assemblies in Corinth and other places. Not all of the problem, though, because I really think the problem was, as it is today, this whole concept is misunderstood um, in Christendom, if you will. But it can be sorted out. It should be. I have a lot of sympathy for folks that are really bound by this idea of gifts and the presence of gifts within these gifts, the ones that are talked about here in this chapter and others. 
these gifts being present today. Because I think within chapters 12, 13, and 14, we find all about the gifts. We also find the, the reason that the gifts will no longer be and when that is. So it's a matter of understanding. Now, does that mean that there are, there are no gifts or abilities within the congregation? We, we find that, but we're not talking about, we're not talking about manifestations. We're, we're talking about other, other things. Um, people uh, doing certain things, uh, doing certain work within the assembly, living in a certain way, uh, being uh, spiritual parents instead of worldly parents, being, you know, all the different decisions that we get to make. Um, so let's look at the first two verses of this text. 1 Corinthians 12 starts us on the journey through chapter 14. And the apostle writes, and concerning the spiritual things, which is neuter and gender, because it refers back to the spirit where, where these things have come from. Brethren, I do not wish you to be ignorant. Paul says this many times about this sort of topic. This is not an easy thing to understand, uh, even the uh, basics of it and then looking at it in the long term. Verse 2, you have known that when you were nations or Gentiles unto the dumb idols and you were led being carried away. I'll read that verse, but it really pertains to verse 3. Um, meaning of spirituals. We, we've looked at it and we see how it's defined. It's defined very well. The apostle, though, as we read, start this chapter, we understand, I think, a very important thing. The apostle wants them well informed concerning, uh, concerning receiving these abilities from God in the assembly. And it was noticeable, very noticeable, uh, because of the different abilities. I mean, there were all sorts, starting with the apostles. You see, these, these spirituals, uh, the apostles had. They, they had uh, um, a great abilities in a supernatural, if we can use that word, but a power from heaven. Isn't that what came to the apostles when they were waiting in Jerusalem on Pentecost? Power from on high, as the King James says. Those are, the, those are the things we're talking about, but not just that, because the apostles had things that others didn't, such as the mind of Christ and, and the prophetic uh, understandings and things of this sort. But other gifts, other gifts were, were available within the congregations, to the assemblies. It's not that the apostle here was answering questions posed about this. He, he might, there might have been some questions, but I really think 
concerning these um, spirituals, the gifts, he was responding to what had been seen within the churches, within the congregations, what the people had had looked at and witnessed and saw what was happening. And I think in most part, it was a real blessing to the congregation. How the, how the brethren were benefiting through these gifts. But unfortunately, it wasn't all benefit. There were, there were some problems that arose because of this. Um, more of uh, personalities and, and things. But Now, was it a mistake to bestow gifts upon the infant church? I, I couldn't say that. I don't think anyone can say that. Obviously, this was necessary. So it had to be dealt with in a proper way. I think also he was going to and was trying to remind them of the fact that both the Lord and his apostles spoke of these occurrences from, uh, from the statements made before the day of Pentecost and, and after. But uh, if we look at Acts, um, Acts chapter 2, I think this was in our notes, but Acts chapter 2, of course, this is the uh, during the sermon of Peter as he, he preached to the Jews, Acts 2.14. This is after Peter stood up and they had seen a great miracle. You know, they heard a wind, but there was no wind blowing. They saw tongues of fire on the tops of the apostles' heads but nothing was being burnt. But it sure got their attention because the city rushed to where they were to hear the words that were spoken. You see, that's God's way of, of doing things amongst people. And I think we need to understand that. But what did Peter say? He stood with the eleven, lifted up his voice, and spoke to them, saying, Ye men of Judah and all that ye dwell in Jerusalem, be this known to you and give ear unto my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that which hath been spoken through the prophet Joel. Joel was an Old Testament prophet, and he prophesied this of the last days. Verse 17 and it shall be in the last days, saith God, I will pour forth my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Yea, and on my servants and on my handmaidens in those days will I pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. through verse 21 and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon unto blood before the day of the Lord come the great and notable day and it shall be that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord 
shall be saved. Now here we're, we're talking about what is being seen here this day. It's starting on that day, Pentecost, and going all the way to the parousia, the day of the Lord. Lots of things are going to happen as far as manifestations. I mean, the pouring forth of the Spirit, wonders in, in the heavens above, signs on the earth beneath. Joel prophesied. They were already doing it. And also, let's just look at um, uh, Mark 16. We remember this verse. Mark 16, verse um, 17 and 18. And these signs shall accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. I think this had been suggested uh, that these gifts were coming. Now, when the days when Jesus said things like this, as he did there, he was the miracle worker in Israel. His, his apostles also performed miracles or works uh, as he sent them forth to do so. Not on the same level, of course. But all of this began on the day of Pentecost, AD 7, uh, 31. But I believe it ceased around A.D. 70. But this we're going to see later in the text. Make that statement now because uh, it's not a preconceived notion, it's a studied opinion. <clears throat> now in verse 2, these spirituals in the assembly is not as the pagan witchcraft of the Gentile nations um, that they had seen. Idols, witchcraft, Practices of the occult, all sorts of things. And believe me, there were some manifestations there that tended to lead these folks on as they were idolaters in those days. Do you think that anybody would have been an idolater or involved in this sort of thing if there wasn't something that drew them to it? Now, I know the main thing was fear the threat of, you know, a lot of things to do with idols had to do with uh, if you don't worship this idol, your crops were, will fail, things of that sort. But uh, there, was, there was more to it than that. There was an underlying situation. And they were led away by that. That's why when we read verse 3, we're, we're going to see that there's a remedy for that. He didn't want them to think that the source of those powers of the occult or witchcraft was of the same origin as the manifestations of the spirit, the spiritual from heaven. 
not the same source. He wanted to clarify that and get that very, very straight with them, especially the Gentiles. Now, <clears throat> the Jewish people should have had no difficulty with that, but, you know, throughout the history of the Jewish people, they were involved in all, all sorts of things. But, it, but after the captivity in Babylon um, and their release to go back to Israel about 539 B.C., Idolatry was not really practiced in Israel, although there were still holdouts of uh, some of the practices of some things that were very displeasing to God. But nonetheless, they were not involved in it, and they were pre being prepared for the, the kingdom and the Messiah. But because of that issue of power, he wanted to separate it and let them know that, that the things for the church were from God. But he also wanted them to remember when they were pagans, there was a power that drew them into it. So they were to put that aside, and they needed to, to be a Christian. So there's a remedy, I guess, and the remedy is always pretty much the same. It's an idea of understanding. Understanding the Spirit of God the breath effect of God's will among men of faith. There is a breath effect. Verse 3 simply says this, and uh, it's very poorly translated in most of our Bibles. Um, and l listen closely to it. Wherefore, in other words, <laughs> I love that because that's the continuation. That This is the solution to the things he has said. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no one in spirit of God speaking saith Jesus is anathema. Now, anathema means cursed, uh, without hope. And no one is able to say Jesus is Lord except in Holy Spirit. Spirit's the same word in both places. Uh, holiness is implied when the word, when the name of God is invoked, uh, and holy is used here in the last spirit because we need to know that we're speaking of spirit in heaven. Comments. Well, um, because of their background in the pagan world of idols and witchcraft and occult power. Paul didn't want them to think that in any way the, uh, that the powers of heaven had the same source as the idols. We need to understand that. False gods. And this verse, verse 3, suggests a test of the source of the spirits. It's a very interesting verse. And what he says is, very true. It, it draws a clear distinction about being in the Spirit. You see, we are, as Christians, when we are born into the family of God, we are in the Spirit. We live in the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. We live in the resurrection. Didn't Jesus say, I am the resurrection? <clears throat> Not, it's not the verb, the noun, the state of being. That's what a Christian is. 
When we are in Christ, we are within that spirit realm. And that's what's being said here. If that's who you are, you could never curse the Son of God. On the other hand, it appears that someone outside of that can't say the reverse. They won't call him Lord, of course, with the understanding they know what that means. <clears throat> That's a, it's an interesting test. But didn't the Apostle John say, test the spirits? He did in 1 John. Test the spirits, I think it's chapter 4. Sound doctrine is what's at hand here. Uh, they needed to understand that this is a reality and believe what he's saying. Test it for yourself if you have to. So the things, the things out of heaven, the last point, are spirituals and they're good. You see, the word spirituals in this, all of this text is it's genitive. That means it belongs to something. Well, it belongs to the spirit. It's plural because there's more than one. And it's neuter because, again, it belongs to the spirit. The spirit is neuter. The Lord is, is masculine. God is masculine. The spirit is neuter because it is the breath effect of God. That's how we need, that's how the Bible teaches it. But what these verses here we'll read. Um, and then we can quickly go over it. Um, and this is where we'll pick up next week in this idea. But from verse 4, just listen to the, what he's saying. <clears throat> because he starts with the idea of diversities. There are diversities of gifts and the same spirit. There are diversities of ministrations and the same Lord. And there are diversities of workings, and it is the same God who is working the all in all. And to each hath been given the manifestation of the Spirit for profit. And to one through the Spirit hath been given a word of wisdom. Here we start a list. And to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit and to another faith in the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing in the same spirit, and to another in workings of mighty deeds, and to another prophecy, and to another discerning spirits, and to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. And all these doth work the one and same spirit, dividing to each severally as he intendeth. The word gifts there, as, as we see the diversity of gifts, that word gifts is a, is a Greek word that's only used, the word is charisma. In the New Testament, it's only used in the New Testament, that Greek word is used only for Gifts and favor imparted from God. So we can eliminate birthday presents and other things. 
These gifts uh, are from God, which brings them back into the spiritual, if you will. Now that suffix there, M-A on the end of the word, indicates the results of God's love and favor upon the body of Christ. These gifts were given because God loved the body of Christ and wanted to help and protect them. Some people have swung so far on these gifts that they hate the gifts. No, we can't hate the gifts. These are wonderful gifts. These gifts were necessary. Others want to assume that these gifts and others, they're doing them every day. Well, both, both camps are very wrong. Remember, there are diversities of gifts. In other words, they're not all the same type of gift. They don't look the same. They don't do the same thing. But they all, all, all of them do one thing, and they, they edify the assemblies of Christ. That's what they do. That was, the, that was God's will. So, diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. Diversities of ministrations, but the same Lord. Diversities of workings, but it is the same God operating the all in all. We have everything here, don't we? The all in all is, is just what, what is said here in these verses. Verse 7 says, and this is important, to each have been given. In other words, the brethren had these gifts. And, and some will want to know, well, how many did they have? They have one, two, three. I, I don't know. Um, there were other, probably some that had more than one and some that had uh, one. Depending on what they were, it might have kept them busy. That's not the, the point. The point is they were seen. They were clearly seen works of spirit. And they were edify the whole body. And it was never to glorify the person with the gift of doing whatever they were doing, but it was to give glory, of course, to the God of heaven and the Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so actually, there's like nine, nine different gifts here listed. Um, they all come through the Spirit from heaven, which is the breath effect of God is what we find here. Quickly, a word of wisdom. That was divine knowledge from heaven. The apostles had such, the prophets to Word of knowledge. That, was, that means, in, in the language, to the ability to teach the truth. That makes sense. But what the word of knowledge is today, if you would approach someone, uh, people have all sorts of meanings there. They'll try to tell you something that they received from heaven, from God. Well, before you believe it, you better make sure that, that things are the way they should have been. Especially when the word means that we're to teach the truth. What's the truth? God's word. The apostolic message is what the evangelist taught. Does it say anywhere in there they're going to receive some other ideas that they need to also teach? 
Not in my Bible. All according to, that is the Greek word kata, the same spirit, according to. That's used a lot in, in the Greek. And it has, it, it's, a, it's just a cement that holds things together. To another faith, that's divine power. Think about the mustard seed uh, story. To others, gifts of healing, restoring the sick, as in Acts chapter 5. The workings of mighty deeds, as miraculous powers. To others, prophecy, that's speaking forth from God. To another, discerning of spirits, being able to show God's spirit, God's will from another spirit that doesn't have God's will in mind. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. There's not really anywhere to go with this except we're talking about languages here. You think the language barrier was real in preaching the gospel? What were the languages available? Uh, Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, and, and, uh, and uh, Greek? Well, there's a lot more people. Remember the people at Pentecost? I think uh, there was a deep, at least 14 different languages spoken. And all of those people there heard the proclamation of Peter's sermon in their own tongue. Languages. And then there's another gift, interpretation of tongues. But it's all for those in the assembly. Remember, tongues are for the unbeliever, not the believer. They're to teach. Um, so someone would speak in tongues in a language that some might believe, but there was another there that could interpret that and tell everyone else what was said in their language. I know, it's complicated. Um, the spirituals are divided to each from the power of God. For it is his to give, and it's not ours to demand. Like, I would like to have the gift of healing, if you don't mind. I reach up and take it. No, that, that's not how these things are done. You know, the Apostle Paul left one of his traveling companions in a city, and he was too sick to go. That sound like these things are willy-nilly? Everything was orchestrated by God and done for the reason that he knew better than anyone else. It is his to give and not ours to, to make decisions about. It's all through his will. Now, all of this is pretty much an introduction of what's going to be coming uh, in, in these lessons uh, concerning this. And within it, I, the wisdom of these gifts of the first century church, it all comes right back to that, really. Um, who, who in the world are we, uh, is this epistle written to? Well, it was written to the people of that day for a reason. These were situations they needed to deal with then. But we need to understand what it was, how it was dealt with, and where we're at right now. I'm glad God's got all of this in here for us through the apostle that we can do just that. Um, and we can if, if we want to. 
This teaching on, on gifts is one that if you got a preconceived notion and you're real good about carrying that along with you like a suitcase, you're going to have a rough time with this. But if you're willing to let God's Word deal with you in, in the way that it should, uh, these, things will, these things will fall into place. Um, what we've talked about here in Corinth is good history. We're getting, we're getting a look at it. And uh, sometimes we see things we need to avoid, and other times we see we need to be more centered on, on this. Because this is, this is what the church is supposed to be doing. With that, I will uh, close for today. And we will have our song of consideration, invitation, if you will.